You're listening to a podcast from 702. The Car Feature with Nicole Lowe. And yes, today we are speaking something very interesting with Nicole Lowe. But also I invite you to give us a call because Nicole will be taking some of your technical questions when we're done having this conversation on the cooling system of a vehicle's engine. O double one double eight three oh seven oh two is where you can Give us a call, SMS 31702, tweet at Rilebukhile M at Radio 702 using the hashtag 702 Afternoons and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Nicole, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Rebukhile. It's all going well and it's summertime. Yes, it is, which means we need that AC. It is real. We need that AC. So... I used to have a um, very entry-level VW City Golf back in the day. This must have been 2003, 2004. And a friend and I decided we're going to drive down to Cape Town. I only had four gears and no air conditioning. And back then, uh, the cars were still using tapes. So as resourceful as we were, we had kind of like a USB fan situation in the car. Plus, we plugged in a discman so we could play CDs on a little speaker. That was the reality that some of us come from. Abel is busy laughing at me because do you know how hot it is driving through the Karoo when you are getting to Cape Town in December? So this, for me, is very important because I cannot live without AC. I don't know how I did it before. Yes, I love that road trip of yours. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, but what we're actually going to focus on is not the cooling of yourself, but the cooling yes. of your engine. engine yes. <laughs> uh, obviously now it's summertime, and uh, I know it's been very cold in Gauteng for December, but I believe summer is there now. Um, so if you just look at some of the basics, a third of the energy in your fuel is actually converted to heat by your engine. Only a third of the energy actually gets the, to power the vehicle or gets to the, gets to the wheels that actually drive it, and a third of the energy escapes down the exhaust pipe. But that third of the energy that's converted to heat needs to be removed from the engine, otherwise the engine will eventually melt and seize. And why, uh, why is you, that the case? It gets so hot. To give you a few uh, examples of temperatures, if you look at a petrol engine, the exhaust gas on the full load can be a 1,000 degrees Celsius coming from that engine. And they say the peak temperature inside a combustion chamber of a spark ignition, so petrol engine, can be up to 2,500 degrees Celsius. So there's a lot of temperature, there's a lot of heat going on in the internal combustion engine. Um, and that heat needs to be removed, otherwise the metal surfaces will eventually melt. Um, so how it is done, most of the modern cars these days are now all water-cooled. We used to have a few air-cooled uh, vehicles before, think of Beetle and Porsche 911s and so on, early ones. All water-cooled now. So if you look at the basic basics of a vehicle's cooling system, then obviously we can start with the radiator. So the radiator in front of the vehicle... Uh, it's, a, it's a square unit mostly with loads of fins on it. And the idea is the cooling liquid, so the water and antifreeze, gets pumped through the radiator. The airflow that goes through the radiator then removes the heat from that cooling working uh, fluid. Uh, and then the, the, the fluid coming out the other side will be cool going towards the engine. Uh, when it enters the engine, it actually moves through a few water jackets that's uh, internal to the engine, and it picks up all the heat from the combustion processes, and then it, uh, the process starts again. But obviously, there's a water pump 
that needs to circulate the water or the coolant then in this closed system. And also there is a, what is called a thermostat valve. Remember, uh, uh, the operating temperature of an engine is around 90 degrees Celsius. So if you have a, a temperature gauge in your vehicle, you will see that most of the time it operates around 90 degrees Celsius. That is the, the temperature also of the coolant. Um, but when the vehicle starts up, you want the engine to heat up quickly because it's more efficient, it's better running at 90 degrees than cold. So when it starts up, that valve, that thermostat is closed, so it prevents the water from circulating in the circuit. Until you get to 90 degrees, then that valve opens, the water starts circulating, it takes the heat from the engine, it goes into the coolant, and then it gets to the radiator where obviously, obviously the heat is then transferred to the moving airstream. But remember, your vehicle's not always moving, and you might be stuck in, in traffic. So then you need a fan to actually move the air through the radiator. So it can be either a mechanical fan or it can be an electric fan. Most modern vehicles will have an electric fan. You can sometimes, when you sit in traffic, you can hear that fan kicking on to actually suck the, the air through the radiator and help with the cooling process. Yeah, so, yeah cooling is very important. Um, just a few tips. Uh, we're in summertime now, and we don't want our engines to overheat. So some, some things that uh, our listeners out there can, can just check on their vehicles. First of all, make sure your coolant level is right. So it's the, the, the circuit, everything, the, the coolant level is at the right level. Make sure that your, your antifreeze is at the right percentage to the water. So there's a certain mixture that you need to do between the water and the antifreeze. And remember, antifreeze... It's not just there to prevent freezing, as the, as the name suggests. It's also there to raise the boiling point of the water. It's also there to prevent corrosion of mm. the system. And it's also a lubricant for the water pump. So make sure about that. And make sure there's no leaks. Make sure your electric fan is working um, and uh, that the thermostat is actually opening. So you can see the temperature steady at 90, 90 degrees if you look at the instrument cluster. There's a few things that you can can look at. Obviously, the, if listeners have got a problems with their cooling system, there's loads of, of other issues that can result in an overheating engine, but that's the basics of the cooling system. Just in terms of your more modern cars, what are they doing different in terms of cooling the vehicle, uh, the engine, versus the old school cars that go very, very loud in the heat? Yeah, so the old cars, I mean, uh, they needed to have a lot of airflow over the engine, so you, if you had uh, vehicles, old cars stuck in traffic, you'll get the situation where the coolant starts boiling and you see all the steam coming from the engine. Those were very inefficient engines. So um, a lot of heat was generated with, uh, with old engines. New modern engines, when you stop in traffic, the engine switches off. It doesn't produce any more heat. You've got very clever algorithms and electric water pumps and valves that can open and close individual circuits to help with the cooling. Your radiators are much more efficient than the old ones. And then obviously your electric fans now are much better than the, the old fans used to be connected directly to the out to the crank, to the end of the crank. Yes. So if the engine revs high, the fan goes quickly, and if you're idle, the fan goes slow. But with the electric fan, obviously the engine control unit can decide what, what speed of, of fan speed is needed for for, for the airflow through the radiator. So, no, it's a, definitely with a modern modern power change, it's a lot more efficient. You don't get overheating so much anymore, but it's still something that we need to take care of. I think many people don't actually pay attention to their vehicle's temperature unless, of course, they do have an overheating issue. 
that is a problem. But I must say the modern powertrains, they would warn you in advance to say there's a problem. Um, and then they can also, what the modern uh, engine control units can do is they can start uh, putting the vehicle in limp home, for example, you don't get full power, you don't get full torque, to try to prevent engine damage, because that's the most concerning thing. If mm. you, for example, a, a water pipe would burst, you lose all your coolant, the engine will start to overheat, and eventually the engine will seize up, and it, will, it can actually lead to terminal damage of the engine when it overheats. So that's definitely not a situation w- which we want. Um, and obviously, it's all, it's all on uh, internal combustion engines I'm, I'm discussing now. When we get to the new phase of electric vehicles, that will be something of the past. So if a person is finding themselves in an emergency right now, because like what you mentioned, we are going through sweltering heat in Gauteng province, especially in Pretoria. If they are finding themselves in an emergency, what, what signs should they be looking out for that their vehicle is overheating? So obviously your temperature gauge is gauge on your instrument cluster. That's the first sign. Um, so when that goes into the red, you know there's trouble coming. Um, but we'll also notice on that needle, when it drops to cold, sometimes the temperature sensor that uh, relays the message to the instrument cluster actually hangs in the coolant. So when the coolant leaks out completely, that uh, that uh, dial can actually drop all the down, way down and show a cold temperature. So it's as bad to see that you're in the middle of the day. It's summer, you've been driving a lot, and it's, you see that it's completely cold. That's also completely wrong. So maybe the coolant has leaked out. Um, be careful of that. And also on the other side, if it goes into the red, there should be warning bells going off in modern cars and even messages on the instrument cluster. But it, it, the best thing to do is find a, a garage or safe place to pull over, stop, switch off the engine, let it cool down. Um, if, I mean, you have to look at, at the coolant level. That will be the first thing to do. And remember, never add cold water to a, a overheating engine while it's stationary or while the engine is switched off. The best thing is if you have to add water, let the engine just idle and just pour it into the radiator uh, gently. So that sort of mixes it because you don't want to, to pour in cold water into a, a, a smoking hot engine block. It might lead to, to damage. Yes. So, yeah, it's a couple of things to, that you can look out for. But, yeah, it's definitely prevention is better than cure in this, in this situation. Completely, completely. All right, I'm going to invite all of the listeners. Nickel will be taking any of your technical questions or maybe it's something related to the cooling system of your vehicle oh double one double eight three oh seven oh two the whatsapp line oh seven two seven oh two one seven oh two send through your voice notes and your questions for nickel seven oh two the car feature with nickel low all right nickel before we go to the callers what are uh, uh, any final thoughts on important things that listeners should know regarding the cooling systems of their vehicles yeah as i say prevention is better than cure so if the vehicle is serviced on time, that's one of the things that the service centers will also have a look at is the coolant level. But I mean, things to look out for, if you pull the, the car out of the garage, you see a puddle of coolant under the vehicle. Don't ignore it. Don't just add uh, uh, like uh, 500 moles of water every day. That, that water is going somewhere and at some point something big will, will break. So mm. prevention is definitely better than cure. Watching that temperature gauge, Listening to all the messages that are coming from the from the engine control unit to the cluster, uh, those are things that you need to take care of. And as I say, servicing is always important. 
and uh, always to have that uh, antifreeze mixture in the coolant at the correct percentage. If you only have pure water in your cooling system, that's fine, it will work, but the corrosion will happen, uh, the, the, the water pump doesn't get the lubrication it needs, so it's not ideal. Okay. All right, Nicole, we are going to the lines. We have Stanley in Edenvale. Hi, Stanley. Good afternoon. Mm, go ahead. Nicole's listening. Uh, good afternoon, Nicole. Um, we've got a, we bought a, a new car, an automatic car, in December, the middle of December. And it seems to take a long time before the, ga- the gears engage. So you, you virtually slow down before she takes, uh, takes off. Uh, in all the gears, in fact, uh, my wife tends to use the manual um, section of the, the, the car uh, rather than uh, pull off uh, at a robot or um, to, to, to change gears when you're going up a hill. What car is it, Stanley? Um, it's an ATOS, a Grand, uh, Grand ATOS. Okay, Nickel? Okay, um, so it's automatic and it's, it's struggling to select gears. Um, yeah, that's a bit of a problem. It sounds like it's, it's something wrong with the gearbox. Is the car still under warranty or not? Oh yes, yes. We just got it on the 11th of December. Okay, so so if it's if it's warranty and I believe that's got a, a torque converter type uh, gearbox, then definitely mm-hmm. take it back to the to the dealership or the service center. If it's on warranty, you can explain to them what's happening and show them and they need to to fix it and a way to check is always if it's a new car and the dealership tells you no no but they all do it like that then say well can i drive another one just to compare um and if the other if the other vehicle is driving much better you know there's something wrong with your car i know that some of the modern automatics um for example there's some what they call an amt automated manual transmission i don't believe that's what your vehicle has um, that that transmission is is really a, a manual transmission, but operated by I'll say an actuator, but you can call it a robot, little robot that operates the gears, and that's mm-hmm. actually very slow to change gears. But you find that gearbox mostly on the entry level uh, vehicles, and it will say AMP. But I believe you also normal torque converter. It should select gears normally. Best is take it back to the, to where you bought it and say no, no, have a look and fix it. Mm-hmm. Because my brother-in-law's got, uh, well, he's got an older model of the ATOS, and there's no problem with his automatic gearbox, you know. And when you put your foot down, uh, it tends to take off, you know. But this is... Yeah, no, it, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound right. Um, they will definitely plug in the diagnostic tool and have a look if there's any fault codes in the gearbox. It might be as simple as it needs a software update. But best is okay. to take it back, and as I say, compare it to an equivalent new vehicle. Just take it to another one for a spin around the block and just see how it goes. And if it's much better, you know there's something that they need to fix on yours. Okay, thank you very much. All right, and thank you so much. Opinion. Thanks, Stanley. Uh, we now go to Temba in Orange Farm. Hi, Temba. Hi, hi, Rudy. How are you? Good, thanks, and you? I'm okay. Um... I'm having a, a problem. I'm driving a Fiat Panda 2007. So I'm having a challenge with a fuse that always blows after 15 minutes. And when it, when it does, it affects the fan, the cigarette lighter. Um, so I don't know what's the problem. Can the gentleman assist me with that? Hmm. Nickel? So it's a fuse connected to the cigarette lighter that keeps blowing? Yes. 
Okay, so the reason why you have fuses in, in the vehicle is that is sort of the weak link of the electric system. So if the electric system gets overloaded, meaning that there's more amps going through the wires than it was designed for, then this, this fuse is actually the weak link that will blow first or break the connection. So if you look at the fuse, there's a small little wire that will actually burn off and break the connection. And that is to prevent the rest of the wiring loom, uh, loom to sustain damage. Um, some people think, no, 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 I will take this fuse out and I'll just connect the wire directly. And no, no, never do that because then all your other wires will start burning because there's a, what I guess what is happening is there's somewhere is a short circuit and it's sending too much power, too much amps through that specific line and that's why it's blowing that fuse. So auto electrician will quickly figure out what's going on. So best is take it to auto electrician. It might be yeah. that uh, even the, the heater element of the, the cigarette lighter is maybe pulling too much power and that is causing that fuse. One thing you can check, though, is check the owner's manual. It will normally have a page of all the fuse numbers and also the fuse writings. Just make sure that the yeah. correct writing is, uh, is a not fuse. Normally it will be a 10 or a 20 or a 30 amp fuse. Just make sure the correct uh, uh, writing is on that fuse that is not too low for, for that application. But if it's got the correct fuse in it, definitely take it to an auto electrician to check for that short circuit because there's too much power going through those lines. Oh, okay. No, thank you so much. Man. All right, uh, Temba. Thank you so much, Temba in uh, Orange from Mbuso in Pretoria CBD. Hi. Hi, how are you? Look, I'm driving a 2019 Polo Vivo. So before it, I was driving the 2016 one. So the temperature gauge, it's the manual one where you see the stick going up and down and all that. But this one is digital. I can't even tell if the car is overheating or what. On the screen, I can see a temperature, but it's saying 30 degrees Celsius. But I'm not sure if it's the outside temperature or it's the engine temperature. Can you guys help? so that I can find out and know when my car is overheating. Okay, so the temperature you're seeing at 30 degrees is definitely the outside temperature uh, because your coolant temperature will be close to 90 degrees. So what the manufacturers have been doing in some of the modern cars, they've been taking away the temperature gauge. And what they're doing is they, they're putting there a little light. Sometimes it's a blue blue sign that will come on when you start the vehicle. It will say engine cold. And then once it reaches operating temperature, that little blue light will disappear. And then you don't see anything. You don't see a gauge. You don't see temperature. But uh, that vehicle will have a safety system behind it. So when it starts overheating, there will be a light coming on an instrument cluster, probably with a chime as well and with a message to tell you that it's overheating. So basically the mo- some of the modern vehicles are doing all the monitoring for you. You don't need to see the gauge all the time. It's doing it in the background. Um, best is to look at your owner's manual. So check your owner's manual and check the the pages that explains the instrument cluster lights, and it will explain everything to you there. Okay, thank you so much. No problem. All right, uh, thank you so much, Mbuso, in Pretoria CBD. Um, Nickel, I mean, uh, from your side, what are some of the common issues that you see uh, happening with more, the more modern cars? Like the previous caller was just saying, he's a bit, a bit confused with the whole temperature gauge. 
Yeah, I suppose in the modern cars, the idea is to to make it simpler, to make it easier for the user. And we not all not all drivers are mechanics, and not all have studied engineering. So you will see with the older cars, you used to have loads of gauges. I actually love the classic cars where you can see the amperage of the the battery, you can see oil pressure, you can see uh, obviously the engine temperature. Um, but the, the trend is with modern cars to take that away and to leave it up to the engine control unit to make all the decisions. So in an old car, you had to monitor all those gauges and you see something go wrong, you need to take action. Uh, with modern cars, when something goes wrong, the engine control unit is programmed by the engineers to make those decisions for you. So in some senses, the modern cars are much easier in that sense. But when something goes wrong in a modern car, it can sometimes be difficult to, to fault find. Um, and uh, you will see that the technicians these days are more IT specialists than actual mechanics. They, they run around with, uh, with laptops plugging in and looking at the diagnostics of the vehicle because these modern engine control units have got a, a diagnostic a capability of looking at what sensors, what systems, what has failed, and it will actually point the technician in the right direction. So there's definitely a, a shift away from the operator of the vehicle to the engine control unit that makes the decisions uh, for the operator. All right, let's take a listen to a voice note. Good afternoon, 702. I wanted to know what is the proportion of water to coolant? Because sometimes I'm told that I must just pour the coolant as it is into the uh, the, the, the water there. All right. Good question. Nickel? Yes. Um, so you will see when you, have, when you buy the antifreeze, and make sure you buy the correct antifreeze for the specific model. Again, you will see in your owner's manual what is the antifreeze. Uh, that is proposed for the specific model. And then on the bottle, on the back, it will actually state the percentage. It's normally a 30 or a 50% uh, percentage that's that's needed antifreeze to a water. Um, there's also some waterless coolants out there, um, which, which is more glycol-based. It's got sort of different advantages and so on. But the normal uh, coolant that we use mostly in the vehicles will be water-based with antifreeze uh, in, a, as I say, a 30 to a 50% normally ratio. But you will see it. it's normally stated quite clearly on the back of the antifreeze bottle what the ratio should be. All right. So people should check out uh, for that rather than... Um just putting it directly into the vehicle. Yeah, there's no rule of thumb really because all antifreezes, the different mics have got different ratios and so on. So best is to first choose the correct antifreeze and then read on the back of the bottle what's the percentage. All right, final thoughts on um, uh, what we've been discussing today and maybe something that may have come up from one of the callers. Okay, so one thing we haven't discussed on the cooling system is sometimes you get a cooling system that's pressurized um, and over-pressure really because it is pressurized normally and that actually um, keeps the water from boiling. So the more pressure, it, it can't actually boil. But sometimes it goes over-pressure and you'll actually hear the yeasting and so on. And what can go wrong is, for example, when your head gasket 
uh, of the vehicle goes. Some of the combustion gases can actually escape into the cooling system via the cooling channels, and that will overpressurize it. So that's also something that you need to check. Um, some of the radiator companies, uh, they can actually do a test where they test for combustion gases inside the coolant. So you don't want any combustion gases present in the coolant. That means that the head gasket is gone, which is, a, is another failure which you really don't want. But uh, that's something different to a cooling system that's failed, the overpressurizing of the system because of a head gasket failure. So that's something that could maybe discuss in another day. All right, Nicolo, thank you so, so much for chatting to us, a technical specialist and former technical editor for Car Magazine.